Welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And our guest today is uh, a comedy writer who uh, we're very honoured to have. A list of credits so long that I think if we mention them all, we're going to run out of time. But uh, let's uh, let's start with Smack the Pony and then My Family, Life of Riley, uh, The Thick of It, Veep, and of course, most recently, uh, Succession and Shrink Next Door. So please say a big hello as we will now to Georgia Pritchett. Hello, Dave and James. Lovely to see you. You're possibly the busiest writer that I know and not not only the busiest writer but uh the 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 two shows that you've been working on recently uh as far as I know uh I've I've seen more kind of articles about those uh, shows and uh, more interviews and things and than almost the whole of the rest of the world of tv uh put together so uh you are currently uh I would say about as as hot as it's uh, possible to be in the uh, writing world. Do you feel any different to the Georgia of last week, last year, five years ago? No difference at all. No, I still, I'm still consumed with self-loathing and full of self-doubt and, uh, yeah, no confidence at all. No, it, it hasn't. Um, we're still, well, we're very pleased to hear that. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there must have been times, let, let's jump, I'm going to jump in with one, Dave's got lots of questions, but I, the one I'm going to jump in with, there was probably a time when you were doing okay, but a part of you just thought, do you know what, I think I'm done, I can't really do this anymore. Was there a particular moment where you, you can sort of remember a fork in the road and in the life, if your life is a sitcom, and all our lives are sitcoms to some extent, is there is there a particular moment where you thought, I think I'm going to pack this in, this probably isn't helping anyone? Yes, many moments, almost daily. But I think one that sticks in my mind is I went to see uh, my friend do some improv at a pub and I bumped into a writer that I used to see at the at Weekending, um, where so many of us started at Radio 4. Um, and he, I talked to him, he was doing something completely different. He asked me what job I was doing now. And I said, oh, I'm... Yeah, I'm still doing the comedy writing. He was like, really? Wow. I'm really surprised you persisted with that. And, and there was just this moment where I thought, oh, have I been an idiot? Like, should I just have gone and got a proper job ages ago? Has everyone just been thinking, why on earth is she still trying? Um, so, yeah, that was quite a, a sobering moment. When you were uh, growing up, I mean, most people, you know, they would be, I don't know, engine drivers or footballers or models or whatever. Uh, um, we weird people said we want to write. We don't even want to be in front of the camera. We want to write the things that the people say that make people laugh. And uh, I'm curious to know what, what kind of shows or uh, you watched or listened to that, that uh, appealed to you as a child, made you want to do this. living yeah that's a good question and I think that I'm very grateful I think the only thing I've never been confused about is writing I knew I wanted to do that from you know the age of three or something so uh I used to love the Muppets that feels like like a really underrated sitcom people don't kind of really think of it as a sitcom but it was a great uh sitcom um Cheers was another one and Roseanne and then I guess not so much um, 
TV shows, but when I was a teenager, French and Saunders and Victoria Wood came along, and that was massive for me because to see women being funny uh, was, you know, really exciting. And I think we can agree that the comedy world in this country is pretty male-dominated, and certainly back then was even more so. So that was a revelation that there were these women that that you know were being so funny and were talking about things that I recognized and yeah that was a, an important moment. I guess Roseanne would be a really key show for that too though isn't it where she was really at the heart of it. I remember watching that and just thinking oh you know isn't it all comedy from America is this good firstly <laughs> yeah. no, only the stuff that we got uh, but also I'm thinking of you know everyone's favorite character in Cheers had to be Carla didn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I think you might be right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what's so interesting, you know, now having worked a bit over there and here, you know, I think the last election proved to us just how sexist the United States of America is. And yet, in terms of women in comedy, they've always been way ahead, haven't they? If you think right back to the earliest sitcoms like Lucille Ball and Mary Tyler Moore and Rhoda, they've just always had women in the leads. They've had no problem with women being funny, flawed characters. And we've always had this weird thing where the women are the sort of nags or slags. They're the kind of sensible girlfriends or the sort of nosy neighbours or something. And and it's very odd that uh, we haven't caught up yet because that's still the case, you know, and, and indeed, the you know, one of the country's most popular sitcoms at the moment is a man in a dress and you just think it'd be great if it was a woman wouldn't it I don't know call me crazy are we so a woman in dungarees I mean I don't know <laughs> it's like it feels like I guess that's part of the charm I, I don't I don't quite understand it myself I'll I mean, I don't, you know, I always think comedy writers it's we should be supportive and I'm not saying that you know Lots of people love it. That's great. I just think in terms of women in comedy, it's a bit sad that the broadcasters have got behind a man dressed as a woman rather than a woman being a woman. Your personal experiences as well, I presume, as a, as a writer must have... Uh, I, I, I mean, we will talk obviously a little bit about, you know, the difference between writing in America and writing in Britain. But I imagine, uh, certainly, I'm, you know, my experience, I've... I've, I've when I worked with you or we worked on the same sorts of shows, you know, most of the time uh, that I ever worked with you, you were the only woman in the room. And most yeah. of the other time that you weren't in the room, I was in an all male room. Uh, so <laughs> it sort of, um, uh, 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 it has changed. I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely improved. I've been in rooms much more yeah. in the last few years that, that are more, more equal. Um but uh, how how did you find the, that um, experience, the, the, the first experience? Well, that is? yeah, I mean, I think, you you know, I didn't know any different. I did wonder where the other women were, um, but everyone was lovely. All, all the writers I worked with, I adored and, you know, had a great time with. And it was it was actually 25 years after I started writing that I got to be with other women and that was in America um and and I didn't expect it to be so to feel so different and so incredible I I, I 
was in this writer's room with two whole other women, making a total of three women wow. in the room. Uh, 300% more women than I was used to. Um, and it was really, really pathetically validating. It was so exciting to sit opposite people who looked a bit like you, dressed a bit like you, had similar frames of reference, similar life experiences. And it kind of made me realise what I'd been missing in a, in a funny way. And it also made me realise what it's like to be a white man every minute of every day when you walk in any room or turn on the TV or anything. And that makes me realise how hard it must be for all those people who still never see themselves reflected back at them, on whether it's on TV or in any company or in any important roles. You know, it does make such a difference, I think, to your sense of self and, and your confidence. Um, also, can I just back that up with something I know James will agree with me about, that occasionally when I've said I didn't work with any women, people have said, but you did smack the pony, there were women on that. And I say, writer performers are different from writers. Oh, say more. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, it feels <laughs> the rules of the game are slightly different there. Yeah. Um, why, is, why is that, do you think? I think... Right. Well, and this is massively generalising and I'm sure people will furiously write in or phone in. But um, for the ones I know start off as, generally speaking, as performers who turn to writing. And I think there is a difference. I think if you're, a, you know, it's just a different approach and a different set of skills I think sometimes it's hard to be a writer in a room because we're good at writing we're not necessarily good at acting out our ideas or selling them or pitching them so um you know I think it is just a, a different thing and and I mean thank god for female writer performers because you know if it weren't for people like Sharon Horgan or uh well, Victoria Wood, you mentioned earlier. Victoria I mean, Wood, yeah, or Phoebe Waller-Bridge or Michaela Cole. You know, all the amazing things that we've had on TV recently have come from writer performers. But I think that comes from a place of discrimination because all these women were thinking, hang on, I'm not being given interesting enough roles. I'll have to turn to writing in order to write myself an interesting enough role. And And anyway, so to me a purist nerdy writer it feels different um to be solely a writer than to be a writer performer we should probably talk about rooms briefly as well in terms of how obviously you've had experience of writers rooms but again mostly in a you know in an american context i guess rather than the british context is that fair but the brits just still don't really want to go down that road we don't really want team written shows and I get there's a financial implication to that, but is there anything yeah. else behind that, do you think? I think it is mainly financial, isn't it? We, we, you know, we, for sort of narrative comedy, we tend not to have rooms, but obviously, you know, I've worked with Dave, is it on Have I Got News For You? And, very, you know, things, panel shows, they have like a collection of writers, don't they? But I think that's less expensive. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I love a bit of both. I don't know about you two, but I love being alone in my pyjamas 
typing away, but I also think it's probably good for me to get outside and get dressed sometimes and, and exercise my somewhat lacking social skills. Well, I'm, I imagine the room, uh, well, uh, the uh, succession room, for instance, looks to me, well, obviously I don't know it, but I, I, I know four of the people from that room. There's not a huge number of names on the on the credits, and I can I imagine the succession room being a kind of slightly more anglicised, or like a hybrid, uh, I suppose, mm. of the you know the, the perfect combination of uh, having a lot of people in enough people in the room to generate a lot of mm. humour and drama, probably, uh, but not so many. And I have been in rooms where there are so many where everybody's kind of having to shout over everyone else to get yeah. hurt so I'd be cu- curious to know if that's the case yes that's exactly right and 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 you know funnily enough really the sort of a core original kind of or most of the kind of original succession writers are sort of scruffy shambolic British comedy writers and I think you know there was some um doubt in some quarters could this bunch of people pull off a kind of glossy high-end American drama and uh, in some ways we couldn't um, because we didn't know anything about New York so we got we brought in some New York writers and we also didn't know anything about being rich so we had to employ a rich (laughs) consultant and um, and that was really interesting and we I remember him coming to the room and um, I'd written in the first season the uh, Thanksgiving episode and he I got him in a lot of trouble for various idiotic mistakes I'd made in that. So I had someone wearing a coat and he was like, rich people don't wear coats. They go from their jet to their car to their building. Their shoes are only ever on carpet. They ne- they're never on ground and they're never out in the weather and then because it was Thanksgiving, I'd written some very uninspired line of sort of Marcia, Logan's wife, saying, you know, it's time for lunch or here's the turkey or something. And I, she wouldn't even know where the kitchen was. Let alone, she wouldn't deign to discuss lunch or eating. And um, I'd had some stage direction about a woman, you know, in a maid's outfit serving someone. And they were like, what where do you get these ideas about maids and I was like I I don't know I think it must either be porn or old racist Tom and Jerry episodes I just I don't know and um they were like no that that would explain the bit where she jumps onto a onto a chair when she sees a mouse and we only see her feet exactly so apparently staff are, are young handsome men in chinos and polo shirts so you know it was a learning curve and um we yeah. had to we had to do a lot of rewriting after the rich consultant had visited. I'd be really interested to know what you learnt. Um, so, firstly, going back all the way to the beginning when you were writing for Weekending and that kind of stuff, and we still really stick by suggesting that people, you know, get back to writing sketches, topical sketches for Radio Four, 
because that is still a way in and has been a way in for many people and still is. Mm. Was that something that came naturally to you or did you really have to like go, well, this will be good for me and I can do it and I'm going to do it. You know, was there a certain amount of girding of loins before you had to, to do that? Yes, or? definitely loin girding and, and, and definitely for me a sense of sort of doing my national service that, you know, this is something I had to kind of get comedy fit and learn how to make jokes about the news which wasn't despite what my cv says i'm not wasn't particularly interested in politics so uh yeah it was um but i learned a lot and what a fantastic um you know situation where you can just submit jokes or sketches whoever you are i think you know it's a it's a really kind of democratic system isn't it where whatever they liked went on the radio a couple of days later in particular, what did you have to learn? You know, what, 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 how, how did it make you a better writer? Any specifics about, you know, where you had to make up for stuff that didn't come naturally? I mean, I think, you know, I've always been more interested in narrative comedy and writing and telling stories. So I think doing one-liners I find difficult. So I suppose I would apply the sort of, rules of narrative to that or at least to, to kind of interest myself so I would all you know always come back to character so rather than what's a sort of pun or a gag about this news item just kind of think okay who are the people involved what are they like what do they want what do they need you know what will make that hard for them and kind of look at it really as a sort of character study almost even if it was just a one-line joke um, That's interesting. So in a way, you're, what you're doing there is you were turning what you could have thought of as a weakness into a strength, which is yeah. rather than just think of some, you know, some zingy joke that is like the best version of a joke that anyone could do. It's like, oh, no, no, I'm into character. So I'm going to think my way into yeah. this joke with a character joke. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I remember on my my very first day on, when I was asked to work on the thick of it and I was absolutely terrified because I was such a fan of Armando's and I was just so nervous and I arrived on set and he said okay the ne the episode we're going to start writing now is about an inquiry and the vibe I'm going for is less Chilcott more Leveson and I just froze because I had no idea what he was talking about. I, I was thinking, isn't Chilcott that nice spa I want to go to? Um, and I'm thinking of Gareth Chilcott, the rugby player. Uh, <laughs> I think we're um, both, both 0 for 2 there, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I couldn't even... I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to say that I completely immediately... You got both, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I couldn't even Google because this weird building we used to film in had no Wi-Fi. So I did have this genuine moment where I just thought, shall I just run and like keep running <laughs> and never come back? Um, but then I thought, okay, I understand the word inquiry um, and I understand that that would be a scary thing for these characters and I am scared now. So if I can channel that and also, um, you know, I from having sort of been a fan of the show thought well all these people will lie and I I think when you write a character lying is often when you get to their truth so again I just sort of thought think of it as a character thing don't don't worry about 
uh, Chilcot and Leveson too much. And so actually it was a really, what started off as, as another moment where I could have taken a very different turn and, and run away to sea, um, turned out to be quite a fun day that was, yeah, really enjoyable. Hello, James here. George is on great form and I hope you're enjoying this podcast. Our Patreons have already enjoyed it as they get access to all our interviews ahead of time. Right now, our interview with British TV comedy mogul Jimmy Mulville is up and available for our Patreons. He's also the co-founder of Hattrick Productions, who are putting up the prize money for our script competition. Shortlist will be out in a few weeks, we hope. But if you want to get better as a sitcom writer, if you know that script you sent in wasn't what you'd hoped, get some extra sitcom geekery and ask us anything on our extra Patreon podcast, which happens over Zoom plus plenty of other perks, including access to our private Facebook group, which lots of members find encouraging, given it can be pretty lonely writing sitcom scripts. Google Sitcom Geeks Patreon and you'll find us. Now, back to the interview with the peerless Georgia Pritchett. I read your um, autobiography, memoir, Part one of your memory, <laughs> you know, that made them maybe more, which uh, with the lovely title, My Mess is a Bit of a Life, really like that. I, I know there was one chapter where you talked about um, when you were kind of with all the writers in the thick of it, and they were about to film something, and uh, you, you mentioned like something that you, a line that you just threw out there, and Armando discussed it, and they said, well, actually... Uh, it's a it's a great line. It's really funny, but it's it's too funny for the actual moment, so we yeah. can't use that line. And but the the, the takeaway, which I just totally I I completely empathise with, where you said I I said something funny and they liked <laughs> it, and that it's almost that sort of child. I know, way. and I can't remember what it was, but I can just remember the fact that I did think of a good joke. 12 years ago, and I don't want anyone to forget that. <laughs> oh, I can, there's one I can remember from writing an episode of Milton Jones. It was a joke that was just too perfect. We did it anyway. The, the punchline was, I think Milton had to run, had to do the Dubai Derby classic on a donkey called Sillet Bang. And the joke was along the lines of, of course, we'll do it on Sillet Bang. We'll wipe the floor with them. And you heard the audience go, oh... Like there was some like you mean this whole thing has been building up so you could do that joke. It was and it, I wanted as a writer to stand up to the audience and go, we actually came up with that joke in the situation. We haven't been building up to that. It's fine, everyone. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah. I had to allow the audience's rage to express itself momentarily before moving on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a joke that's too perfect is that's another weird one, isn't it? It's like oh yeah, they just. Yeah. Oh, well, again, that was like a really good lesson, actually, that Armando taught me that because he's so about character that that person in that moment in the, when he's panic stricken would not be able to come up with a joke. And so he suggested that I think this was Roger Allen playing Peter Mannion, that he say as many words as possible without actually making any sense like starts a sentence that just goes on for as long as possible without actually <laughs> <laughs> meaning anything and of course that was much much more funny than this this sort of you know zinger in in quoted in quote in quotation marks um 
And that, you know, that really taught me, I think, that writing comedy is as much about the jokes you leave out as the ones you put in, because it's so tempting if you've thought of a joke to keep it in. But if it's not serving the character or the story, you have to be ruthless. That's just very interesting, really. And and so much of the essence of, of, of what, we, what we're always saying, we're about, well, now, I don't know, 180 <laughs> episodes in yeah. now. But I mean, at, at some point in every episode, we'll say something like, you know, your joke... Uh, you know, it's all very well writing a joke, but you know, if it doesn't, if it's not right for the character, then it's the mm. wrong joke. And it, and it sounds like you know that's 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 something that you you picked up quickly. And I, I, but I was interested as well thinking about um, Succession. I read an interview in which you sort of expressed. Uh, quite an affinity with the <laughs> Roman uh, yes. Roy, which uh, <laughs> uh, when you said that again, that made me laugh because um, the, the character Greg to me is uh, it, it, I feel I feel like I'm watching Tony <laughs> Roach yeah. performing. Uh, I don't, uh, but I, I I just wondered how much of you you know again this is this kind of thing about how much of a character is the character, but what how much of you do you kind of bring to the to the writer's room? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're all sort of expressing ourselves by stealth, aren't we? We're all putting ourselves in different characters all the time. Um, I do, I do have a, a, a real soft spot for the filthy little pixie that is Roman, and I think. Um, for all sorts of reasons. But one of them is it feels like he's the only person who actually really loves anyone. Like he properly loves his dad. He properly loves his siblings. He properly and inappropriately loves Jerry. And so I kind of, I, I think he's a really, for all his sort of awfulness, I find him very sort of vulnerable and there's something very appealing about him. But yeah, I think, you know, you put yourself in all the characters, don't you? You sneak your worst bits into all sorts of people and uh, and that's what's part of the fun of writing is. In sure how your involvement was in the show in terms of how you developed that affinity for that character, but did you find yourself sort of involved in the show and thinking and just naturally having that affinity to that character and writing to that? Or, you know, has, has that been... How's it worked out in terms of... Because quite often a character really appeals to a writer and sometimes if you're writing on someone else's show you really want to lean into that especially if that character is not being maybe served as well by some of the other uh, scripts in the series yeah I mean you, you know luckily they're such a fantastic cast aren't they that it's it's a pleasure to write for any of them but um I think you know what's so great about TV uh, and you know isn't it lovely that we're in this golden age of TV is that well, first of all, films are so incredibly difficult to write, I think. But also, they're kind of too long and too short. So they're too long to write, but you have to get so much in. But when, you're, when you've done a few series of, of something, you get to spend so much time with the characters that you can take them to places and, and sort of they can develop and their relationships develop. So I think probably at the beginning... Roman was my least favourite, and uh, it's only as we've continued to write that I've I've kind of um, developed a, a bit of a soft spot for him. But um, yeah, they're all we're all very involved in all the episodes. It's um, 
it's really you know you you obviously take charge of an episode and write write a script but you also can can kind of add jokes and you're part you know we're all part of the the outlining process so we're all you know deciding what happens in every episode which is really fun and what have you learned particularly from working with succession how has that made you develop the skills or make you make you realize oh I always used to not really bother with that and it turns out that something's particularly important is there anything well, any, what superpower have you developed <laughs> I don't know if I've developed a superpower but I think well Jesse's definitely taught me I think as a writer it's always very tempting isn't it to cram as much plot into half an hour an hour as you possibly can and I think Jesse's very good at stripping back and giving the viewer and the actors time to sort of let smaller moments unfold and and land so I think that's been really important because um, that's where character expresses itself, doesn't it? Because it's exactly quite, when, we, when we listen to when we talk about plots. Sometimes when people are talking about a plot to us uh, via various workshops, whatever we've done, the plot is often and then and then and then and then, and it's like, well, these are situations and events rather than a character quest. Mm-hmm. And again, from a character point of view, just make sure the character savors each moment, or we savor the character. Yeah, you know, having a nightmare at each moment. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing is realizing, you know, I think, and I hope this is changing too. But but when the three of us kind of started, there was definitely a real um, dividing line between comedy and drama, wasn't there? And and comedy writers were the poor relation. And Literally. I think, you know, first of all, that line is blurred, which I think is fantastic for everyone. It's so much better to to make shows that are as as funny and as dark as they need to be episode by episode but also I think you know as I said that the the sort of there's there's all these kind of British comedy writers on succession I think we've brought a comedy writer sensibility to it which the bad part of that is we're rubbish at stage directions (laughs) whereas American drama writers write reams of the most beautifully written prose all about the interior life of the characters that I can't do at all but equally our sort of approach to you know making sure every word counts with the dialogue and that there's an economy and a rhythm and you really go over and over it and hone it I think has really paid off and I think that's you know part of what people like about the show is is the dialogue and you know often in and again I'm obviously making generalizations but it can be the case in big glossy dramas where it's all about the plot and you know thinking about say 24 or something where something extraordinary has to happen every few pages and we don't have very many extraordinary things happen but we do make the moments matter and we do really focus on the dialogue and I think that's um you know been been something that's uh sort of given the show its unique feel the last time I I uh, bumped into you was at the uh, the female pilots uh, club it was about a couple of years ago I think first pre yeah. pre-pandemic times and you had there was like a really uh, it was a very strong script you had there it's like a comedy drama I think was actually 
uh, set in the States. And I wondered how, presumably now, are you in a better position to get your own projects made or are you still kind of... Uh, is, is it still as hard to get stuff off the ground? I think, you know, what's sort of both brilliant and a bit sad is that I am over there. You know, they um, they are very uh forgiving of my chromosomes and uh over here i still can't really get my own show away whereas my male equivalents on succession on on beat can over here but in the state you know i feel a bit like a comedy refugee i have you know i'm very fortunate to get lots of work offers from the states where they are happy for me to be female <laughs> and and so you know, thank goodness for them because uh, I love writing and um, it's, you know, it's opened up uh, lots of opportunities for me to do more of it, which is what I want to do. I find, can you just, we'll, we'll just do one more bit on this. I still find it hard to understand why this is your experience, given your track record, but also given the fact that so many decision makers in television are female and that, it's not like I can understand that there would be latent sexism in the construction industry uh, or the mining industry, but the much more progressive broadcast industry, you would think would be this wouldn't be a problem. And yet, I don't know. I don't understand because your, your experience is that it's a problem. And I believe you. So yeah. Why? <laughs> why? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, every single broadcaster has said to me here, we've already got something with women in it. So whether they're male or female, their opinion is you only need one thing with a woman in it per channel, one comedy show. Um, Which also given the percentage of, you know, without wishing to generalise, audience, TV audiences skew female generally anyway, don't they? It is probably yeah. slightly more uh, women rather than men watching television. Yeah. So that even that doesn't make I just none of it makes any sense to me. And I yeah. find it such a strange conundrum because there is a lot of goodwill to fix things. And yet things don't seem to be fixing. Yeah. And if yeah. Georgia Pritchett can't get a show away on UK television, <laughs> what the hell is going on? <laughs> And I, re I remember uh, one of those sort of um, TV conference uh, script things. Uh, and at that, James, I think you were chairing one of these uh, things where the, the head of commissioning on, on BBC said, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, we have a lot of women. We, uh, and we've got a lot of shows with women. We've got the, um, we got the Philomena Kunk show. And as James then points out, that show is written by four men. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> sort of, oh, yeah. Uh, Scene going bright yes, red that's right. and embarrassment. I've, uh, yes, I've had and such it, a great it, career since that moment. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's not exactly He's up not to me there yeah. anymore. It's okay, James. Dave, you wanted to talk about sort of work-life balance and responsibilities outside of you know, which is something actually all the three the three of us have been thinking about a bit. But why don't you kick off? I'm really interested because obviously you are sort of working a lot and I imagine you're having to spend quite a lot of time uh, in the States um, but I know that you know similarly uh, uh, James, James and I well not not similarly but J James uh, does uh, homeschooling for instance and uh, uh, like you I'm a, a, a full-time uh, carer uh, of, uh, autistic child and um, you talk a lot about this in, in, in the book but it is, uh, you know, you, a lot of there's, there's occasional times when I'm sort of feeling bitter and twisted and, and 
don't uh, having to give up a day or a week or something and think, oh god, I wish I wish I was Ricky Gervais. You know, he doesn't have any responsibilities or kids or anything. He can just do it all the time. Um, but then everyone else is also, th- you know, everyone's thinking, oh god, wouldn't it be great to be ha- Georgia? I'm actually working all the time and stuff. But you know, but is that that kind of the the, the fact that you know there is so much going on in one's life outside of the world of of, of uh, comedy writing how how does it uh, oh God, how, how do you fit it all in Georgia? well i mean luckily until i sort of did start working in the states you know writing is something you do mainly do at home and even even now of course you can do the writing at home it's it's the filming that's the tricky bit um so i for even you know i've very first had to start going away for beep and I remember saying to my children then you know I've got to go away for work and they were like but you haven't got a job and I was like no no I have and they were like no you haven't you should get one I was like no no I've I've got one and they were like you should get a job anyway I was saying I've got one the thing I do on my computer is and they were like what play solitaire and I was like the other thing that I do on my computer is my job um but I managed to only sort of go away for a week at a time but that was tough lockdown was really tough I mean it sort of depending on how tired I'm feeling it either worked out brilliantly or terribly in that I would do homeschooling god knows how james manages it all the time but i would do homeschooling from eight till four and then i was in a virtual writer's room from four till nine um in the evening so yeah sometimes i thought this is brilliant this is living the dream and then other times i was just a mere husk of a person and who couldn't remember if i was doing maths homework or trying to write a sitcom um but yeah, it's it's certainly tough. And when life, when your family life is very unpredictable and can be challenging, you know, the sort of simplest tasks can turn into a, a whole saga. That's certainly um, something that can be can be pretty difficult at times. What advice would you give those lots of people, obviously, are writing sitcom scripts and fitting it around day jobs and that kind of stuff? Uh, are there any things that you found have worked well for you or others in terms of how you can ring fence time, what what you have to do to make writing a daily event rather mm-hmm. than the thing you do when you have the time and feel like it, which mm-hmm. is almost never, uh, <laughs> you know, even for those yeah. being paid well to do a show that's actually on TV, you still don't actually feel like doing it. <laughs> I actually do. I love writing. but And I think just trying to be positive I think having a lot going on sort of outside of writing means that writer's block just isn't an option or procrastination isn't an option because you have such limited time. So, yeah, it feels like a kind of treat when I actually get to have my laptop or, I mean, I don't mind noise. I can write with people sort of trading on my keyboard and things. That's all fine. But, um, uh, yeah, just sort of time where everyone's busy or out is is so um rare and so lovely that um I think that helps with my writing and I don't I don't I haven't got time to agonize I just have have to get on with it Hmm. well yeah I guess as the the need to get stuff out the door uh is is quite a pressing one 
I don't know. I just think it's, um, are you better in the mornings or the evenings? Or again, you don't have the luxury of choosing. Yeah, I used to definitely be a morning person. But now, especially, you know, working with people in the States with the time difference, that tends to be an evening thing. So I've had to learn to adjust. Um, Yeah. Moderate your caffeine intake accordingly at different (laughs) times. Yeah. Are you doing sort of writing rooms then? with them in america technically so you're yes. kind of working with people who are five hours eight hours behind and things exactly yeah so yeah. you're working at sort of seven o'clock at night and things yeah, yeah. right yeah. okay I got which is you know in lots of ways it's great isn't it that fantastic that you can work with people and create something with people from thousands of miles away i think that's pretty extraordinary i mean it'd be nicer to be all be in a room together endlessly discussing what you're going to have for lunch but it, you know it's a very good second best isn't it i'd be curious to know beyond uh move to the states uh what advice you would have for uh, a writer who's a, a, just a writer someone who's just a writer starting out uh, in fact would you recommend moving to the states because i'd say to you know, I I tend to think if I hadn't got married, A, I'd still be living in Wimbledon, uh, but B, I probably wouldn't be living in Wimbledon. I'd try to be, I would try to be writing Brooklyn Nine-Nine or um, The Goldbergs really? or something. Yeah. That's funny, um, isn't it? It never crossed my mind and then it sort of happened to me. But I think, I mean, they're, they're very, um, you know, they have all their sort of unions and guilds, so you can't just decide to to go there. There's There's you you know there's it's quite difficult to become a member of the writers guild of america but um but i think writing spec scripts which is something they do in the states much more than they do here uh, or you know writing an episode of an existing sitcom is a brilliant idea because what better way to than to sort of you know you've got character you don't have to do all the hard work of inventing the world or inventing the characters but you can sort of practice your storytelling skills and your joke telling skills um and I think that's a really good idea you know I think you learn something every single time you write a script and I I haven't I don't quite understand why we don't do that more here just as a as a brilliant sort of demonstration of look this is what I can do Um, are they still a thing in in the states yeah I think they are for you know the um the sort of things like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the studio audience, or the sort of more kind of um, mainstream sitcoms for sure, yeah. Yeah. And the advantage of that is also, uh, if you're writing a pilot spec script of your own, you fundamentally don't know if you're essentially trying to make a flawed premise work. Whereas all the imponderables are taken away in an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine because we know the characters and the situation works. So if this episode sucks, that's on you. Yes. Uh, go yeah. away and figure it out and come back. Yeah. Um, so in a way, it's 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 a really good, it is a good yeah. learning exercise to do in its own right, isn't it? Yeah. And for people reading, they're not having to sort of, you're not having to do all that setting up of what the world is and explain all that exposition, which is also difficult to do elegantly. Mm. You can just crack on and and write a funny script, which is um, a much sort of more more fun thing to do and an easier read for other people who just think, oh yeah, I know this world. Let's see if this works. What have you got um, coming up then? What uh, shows? So I um, in the during the pandemic. <laughs> strange sentence to hear yourself saying I adapted a 
podcast called The Shrink Next Door for TV, which was really interesting. Uh, so that is going out at the moment. And now I am adapting another podcast uh, for TV called Tunnel 29. So yes, that's right. Sitcom Geeks, the, yeah. the podcast. Sitcom. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Uh, it's a really good podcast called Tunnel 29. I don't know if you heard that. No, um, I haven't heard that one. It's a true story about a group of engineering students in the 60s who used their very basic engineering skills to dig a tunnel under the Berlin Wall into East Germany and rescue. When you mentioned about the shrink next door, I, I did I listened to a few a few episodes of that. This was before yeah. and, uh, before it came out. And I actually haven't been able to see it yet because it's, it's on that yes, TV, yeah. I think. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, well, I, um, I can um, watch that one. It's Succession that I can't watch because yeah. I don't have Sky at the moment. But I've been... I've been I've been saving that one up, and once once I've once yeah. I now know well, that I'm succession is succession. finished, I shall binge the entire lot because it <laughs> sounds absolutely incredible. I'd be interested to know how how involved were you with the shrink next door in terms of filming? I'd be interested to know what you what you learned from working with someone like you know Will Ferrell, who I think he knows his way around a joke. Uh, is there anything that sort yes. of comes back through that process that was new that to was, you? That was really interesting. So that was written, as I say, I'd, I'd homeschool the children and then in the evening write The Shrink Next Door. And then when it came to be filmed, uh, the, the boys were back at school, but it was still sort of very much COVID protocols. So I did actually have to go away for much longer than I ever have had to before because of quarantining. Um, but I also did spend some of the time here watching it live on an iPad on um, that, that is pretty incredible. So you can literally in real time give notes and you're in your own video village. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. So weird. But there's nothing to stop that now, is there really? No. no. Um, so that was amazing. They, you know, Will Ferrell uh, is incredible. Paul Rudd is incredible. Catherine Hahn, you know, they're all geniuses. And I think what was interesting was when I heard the podcast, I thought, well, this isn't a comedy. This is a tragedy. This is a really tragic story. And so I said to them all, yeah, I mean, we might, I might let you have the odd joke, but basically this is going to be a tragedy. And actually they all really leaned into that. And, and Will Ferrell, I think, gives one of the most incredible performances of his career. So subtle and nuanced and heartbreaking. Uh, absolutely brilliant and Paul Rudd plays against type you know he's normally the hero and in this one he's the villain in quotation marks so um, yeah it was really exciting to do and I think we all I, I assumed from listening to it I thought oh right okay that's going to be Will Ferrell and the other guy is going to be Paul Rudd oh that's that is very interesting so that was really fun and it's it's interesting when you do when you I thought I was being so clever subverting people's expectations in that they would think, oh, this will be a comedy. No, it's not. Um, so, and a lot of people have been like, oh, this isn't what I was expecting. But some people have been a bit, hmm, this isn't what I was expecting. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know how clever it was actually, but um, but I think they're brilliant in it. And uh, and I'm very proud of of, uh, of the show. It was It was a really enjoyable thing to do. Is that eight apps and all done, or is there, there going to be more? No, that's it. We told the story. Well, now I'm going to let them get on with their lives and leave them alone. 
Yeah, strange to write about real living people. That's quite a responsibility. Yeah, wow, that must be. I'm curious, actually, because you're one of the uh, few writers of the last few years that I can think of who has written a lot of audience uh, sitcom episodes. Mm. And uh, I wonder, would you ever consider... uh, trying to get an audience uh, trying to write an audience sitcom or are you are you out trying to get an audience sitcom made as we I'm, speak? I'm not at the moment I I think it's one of the hardest things to do but it's it's um yeah I wouldn't rule it out I think wow I mean the ones the best ones just bring you endless joy don't they there's something about them um but it is it is hard to do and I think increasingly you know with budgets and things, uh, things are going to become more and more just single camera or, you know, not have audiences. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really tough, but it's when it works, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's so hard to get right, but the dividends are huge. And, you know, and, and America's American TV certainly knows how to how to ride those dividends out. And it's just, you know, and it, going back to what you're saying about movies, they're, they're, they're so long, but they're so short. It's like you've you've cracked it. <clears throat> you've got some characters and situation that works, and oh, it's two hours mm-hmm. gone. We're finished. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And the sequel's just never as good, is it? With the exception of Paddington Two, <laughs> um, I can't think of many. Godfather Two is that the Godfather? Yeah, yeah that's about it, Godfather though, isn't it? Yeah, Paddington 2 and Godfather 2, I get them mixed up all the time, but oh, they both yeah. seem good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's e- easily done. Cool. Well, um, we should probably mention again your book, and I can't believe that someone persuaded you to write a book about yourself, given we've tried to get you on this podcast before and you've been convinced that you've got nothing to say. Um, but My Mess is a Bit of a Life uh, is available from from all good bookshops, several quite poor bookshops uh, as well. <laughs> Um, but yeah, how did that book come about? Who twisted your arm into that? Because that is not something I'd imagine you were keen to do. No, horrified. When yeah, when it was suggested, I, I sort of laughed scornfully and said, "There is one thing we can be very sure of in this life, and that is that I will never write a memoir." And yes, I don't know. Lockdown madness, a terrible lapse in judgment. I don't know what happened, but. I've accidentally written a, a tell-all, no-holds-barred memoir, and um, now I'm in hiding. <laughs> it's a great book. I, re- I recommend it uh, as a book in its own right, but especially for uh, comedy writers, as in, i.e. the people who listen to this uh, podcast. It's uh, there's, a, there's a lot of really interesting uh, insight into, into the life of and sick and twisted mind of the comedy writer i think it's fair to say uh, yeah uh, yeah brilliant none taken dave (laughs) georgia we're so grateful thanks so much for being with us thank you i'm huge admirers of you both and uh and it's very lovely talking to you both oh brilliant thank you georgia thank you very much for listening and we will speak to you next time cheerio cheerio